What's up, guys? We are back with the Respect My Region podcast, episode seven, more cannabis music marketing, all the in-between. We've taken a couple weeks off. Your boy was down and out with COVID for a few weeks. Dirty. Um, got done dirty, slowly coming back. Um, how are you doing today, Joey? Man, you know, it's another day. It's another dollar. It was 92 degrees today in L.A. 92 in LA today. Yeah. And it was hot. It was windy, but it was so nice. And uh, I got some fire weed today. You got some fire weed from all over? Or you go to any particular store? Backpack, Backpack boys. boys. Jumping on the hype train. How was the store? The store was cool. They took over an old dispensary called Hollyweed. Turn it into the Backpack Boys. The whole dispensary is painted red. There's graffiti. And I picked up the Pippin, man. Look at this. The Scotty Pippin, huh? Yeah, man. This is that real deal. 29.17 total cannabinoids deal. That looks pretty heat. I like the I like the branding on that. Yeah, I absolutely love it. So super cool. Um I'm not gonna review it on this episode, so you guys are gonna have to go subscribe to our YouTube. <laughs> shameless plug but this is uh this is what i got today so pretty excited to check that out um what are you what are you on today for the weed man i'm just smoking some tropicana garlic from uh redbird um tropicana garlic huh? formerly known as uh you know virginia co here in washington i don't know how much you can see it in the light but man it's 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 some good and you know me i don't like garlic i don't like garlic associated well i like garlic but i don't like gmo or garlic associated with my weed it's just a turn off for me for whatever reason um oh you got the knots i got some of that too but i don't want to dig it out that's looking nice yeah your boy your boy finally got a rig so now i'm finally on this dab life yeah i'm about to do a dab of this and i got these buddies this is some strawberry banana right here check this out some straw nana oh that looks nice yeah Looks nice and turpy, man. So, you know, just an update for everyone. We've been we've been off for a few weeks. We got a lot of a lot of podcast episodes scheduled coming up. Um, couple couple life curveballs have taken us off the last few weeks, and you probably noticed if you haven't now, we are switching from Sundays to Wednesdays. Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so we're back on Wednesdays. We're gonna be doing this 8 p.m. Uh, no longer on Sundays. Joey will be doing some music on Sundays moving yeah, forward. Yeah, the Sunday sesh, you know what I'm saying? Every Sunday at 11 a.m., you know what I'm saying? Session. And, you know, we'll keep this podcast on music, cannabis, uh, marketing on Wednesdays, released on Spotify, Wednesday evenings, Thursday morning. Um, yeah, so we've been working a lot on our agency stuff. You know, we obviously have two sides of our business. We have the publication and our social media profiles where we uh, regularly push content out every day, which a lot of people know us from that and merch and events and things of the sort. But we also do agency work on the back end for a lot of cannabis brands. We have been doing an ungodly amount of written content and SEO for dispensaries and deliveries across the country in Canada over the last three to five months. So we've been slacking a little bit on this type of content, getting content for other people done. Um, just got a couple clients that are real aggressive with the SEO and, you know, we're scaling out for that. Um, it's been a lot of work and, you know, with that, we are, we are slowly expanding our music and our cannabis content even 
away from, you know, as people that have been following us for a while have seen from the Pacific Northwest down the West Coast. And now we are definitely slowly scaling out across the country, uh, both music and cannabis content. And this year the, for the fall, we might be doing some a little sneaky with the West Coast Weed Tour. It might be expanded. I don't necessarily want to lead too much onto that. No, man, we leaking that shit. <laughs> I mean, we hitting North America, baby. We going. We going. So, I'm going. North America. Yeah, so instead of the West Coast Weed Tour this year, Joey's pledging to travel to every state that will sell him cannabis. Um, <laughs> so Idaho, what do you got? You know? Uh, <laughs> hey, that is a goal, though. I would love to go to 50 states and smoke weed. <laughs> that shit would be yeah, They'll say you some potatoes, but that might be all you're getting out of there. I will smoke weed out of a potato to shout out Idaho. <laughs> um, so for you know the music realm, I don't I don't want to. We'll we'll bring more to that probably next episode. We'll have more to talk about. That's definitely some big news. Um, but we will be doing the, the North American weed tour instead of the West Coast weed tour this year. More on that later. Um, for one of our music topics that I want to talk about today. Um, through the pandemic, you know, artists have been stripped of monetization through shows and touring and getting on the streets, uh, just even selling records how, how we used to back in the day. Um, the virtual concerts and live streams were cool for a brief second. They've seemed to fall off. They don't hold the same value. It's incredibly hard to monetize, even doing um, charity events. It's so much easier to raise money for charity funds at a live event than a virtual event. Um, even though the GoFundMe model has been uh, popular, I I'm not quite sure why, but uh, or there's quite a few reasons. But anyways, musicians are looking for ways to monetize their craft. Um, NFTs or non-fungible tokens have been one of the hype, hot things on the internet across all verticals and industries over the last, um, I don't know, 60 days, 60 to 90 days is really when it popped on the scene. Um, yeah, we, we, we'll call it like four months, five months. For, yeah, sure. And I think Top Shots, uh, the NBA thing, is really what put it on the map for me personally. Now we're seeing a lot of people break into that. Um, you know, it is a trend. So my 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 unsolicited advice to musicians out there is look at it. You know, if it's for you, if you have the audience, it'd be, it should be something cool worth exploring. But even if NFTs aren't for you or you don't have the audience, you don't know how to leverage it, you don't even want to get into it. I think that it should be good inspiration to do something creative with both your marketing and your monetization of your brand. You know, Nipsey's always the classic example of selling a mixtape just a couple years ago for $100 at a limited amount and, you know, monetize his brand in the, in the moment when everyone's consuming music for free. Even fast forward to a smaller scale, uh, Alchemist and Freddie Gibbs for their Grammy nominated Alfredo album came out with a super dope merch pack, seemed like themed around a, Italian restaurant actually called Alfredo's, which is the name of the album, incorporated with some vinyl designs. Just a really cool exclusive merch uh, pack that that looked like it did some numbers, but it was just a creative way to market an album and also monetize the brand in a time where <coughs> do both of those things. So I would just encourage artists out there to look into NFTs, even if they're not for you, way over your head. Take that as motivation um to look other ways to creatively market your music and monetize your craft um yeah because the reality bro is that you create something digital it has value but it only has value if you create that value if your brand if your artist if your fans care about that so make something digital google how to turn something into an nft or shoot us a message i'll connect you and then 
start putting it up there on the NFT, uh, the NFT marketplace apps that are out there. There's a couple of different apps. Uh, a good resource is to look at Gary V's uh, NFT that he's launching. I forget which uh, which platform it's going through at the moment. Something um, like MetaDesk or so. I forget something mask. I don't know. Um, but there's a lot of people out there doing really cool things. Even Flostradamus in the electronic music space. They just recently released an NFT that was kind of like a scavenger hunt that had you go through different steps and unlock certain things. And so um, it's a very interesting time right now where artists can be creating digital resources and digital assets and then they can actually be sold and then contractually they can make commissions off the resale. So it's, yep. a, it's an interesting time. And then another one to check out for people out there is the Sing app. Um, one of the founders is from Seattle. I believe it's Seattle and Los Angeles just came out. Um, they released an exclusive sample pack with Seattle producer Jake One. Um, but the Sing app is bringing the power of creating and selling NFTs to independent artists easy in an app. Um, it's free to download. I haven't used it from an NFT perspective, so I'm, I can't give advice or, or experience on how that works. But if you're interested in that realm, um, it's a great resource backed by some really great, solid people um, from our community. Um, but with tech and all of that talk being said, one of the conversations that we want to talk about on this podcast is powering marketing and sales with da data. And for that, we are bringing in our good friend, Barry Hurd, who is a data guru, internet mastermind, um, marketing assassin. I'm not quite sure what all um, taglines you hold, Barry. What does the LinkedIn profile say? Uh, Super Barry. I go with dark wizard and a coffee crew. <laughs> so Barry, Barry is somebody that we have worked with on the back end um, for a lot of different projects um, and on a couple different teams. A super wicked smart individual uh, on all things internet marketing. Uh, background is heavily focused in data, but data is what powers everything. Um, and what, you know, some people are saying is worth more, more than gold. So I, I think you're a, a new school gold, gold miner and, and I don't know, jeweler. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, no, I, it, uh, I fall into that category of being the guy who just, uh, as a new market comes open, crack open the market, see what happens and, uh, let people learn their lessons and move on. I usually be a, end up being a very quick learner and bring people up to speed. I like the uh, statement of using other people's money. Like how many mistakes can I watch so I can develop the perfect game plan? Yeah. And, and I, I know from you working with you, you definitely extract data from a lot of different sources and then chart it and map it. Some ways I have a mini understanding of some ways I'm completely lost on. Um, but the power of taking different data sources and crossing them to, together to be able to draw conclusions and, like you said, build a, a roadmap of how to navigate through industries. Um, you've worked in a lot of different industry verticals, and you feel like from a data perspective, looking at it kind of year over year, you can build a good roadmap no matter what industry it's in? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not just a building a roadmap. It's just understanding every industry is a little bit more or less sophisticated than the next and you've you've got multiple layers in each industry and they're all at a different stage of sophistication uh and it's about building little data bricks it's like playing with your legos right and uh, sometimes uh, the legos have been stepped on and crushed and uh, sometimes they're just made out of play-doh or uh, some random kid's food item uh, some, sometimes i feel like when we're looking at the cannabis industry that's 
sort of at where some of these data pieces are. And then uh, <laughs> eventually we'll get to the, the premium galactic set of 10,000 Lego pieces that, you know, make uh, the kids go wow. Awesome. So what, what, um, what's a little bit of your history in working with data, some of the, the, the clients and, and companies you've worked with and, and the projects you've worked on? Uh, I've pretty much been everywhere done that. Uh, I grew up in the data space, uh, was originally in recruiting. I spent a few years doing big sites like Monster, uh, SEO plays, directory um, plays. I did a corporate stint at Verizon uh, back at when it was GTE and super, going into superpages.com. Uh, and then uh, for the last 15 years, I've basically been doing this in the startup venture capital space, uh, working with corporate ecosystems. So um, I'm up in Seattle. Yeah, there's a two or three big tech players that have these monolithic ecosystems around it. Um I've done it on the East Coast. Uh, did a couple sites for Wall Street Journal and Dow Jones, you know, on the on the big end corporate names. And I've done everything to a little gold and, and commodities brokers that are running regional shops. And so, what um, what has some of your experience been in the cannabis industry thus far? Well, uh, I mean, as soon as it was starting up uh, here in Washington, uh, probably a, a year prior to legalization. Uh, we started using a lot of the tools that we used in the other industries to start hoovering up information just to understand what was happening. Um, and so as we watched state after state legalize uh, producers and retailers coming online, you know, everybody did it a little different way. Um, now it's, it's a couple of years into the process. There's a little bit of consistency, but as we see some of these new states coming on, it, it's very apparent that they're, they're looking at, what's come before them and they're saying great uh california did it this way we are not going to do it the, the way california is doing it right so uh, the politics side comes into it people want to have their own fiefdoms and then that's what we're, we're seeing right now is some of these new states they're they're coming up with unique and creative ways of doing their own thing uh and that means that the data the tech the employees in those states uh, they're going to be culturally different and so that'll make a really interesting play is obviously you guys have seen that there's a huge community aspect to this whole industry. And when California, Washington, Colorado bring one community and we start some, some of the East coast communities come online. Uh, eventually those communities are going to come into alignment or conflict. That's going to be based off the dollars that these different mm -hmm. States and counties are driving. Obviously, there's a couple of big states coming online that, uh, you know, there's quite a bit of money that's going to pour into this ecosystem. Right, right, right. With, with New York coming online, I know everybody's waiting for, you know, a state like Texas. I mean, we're a little bit ways down the line, but that's going to be another huge, huge domino in the scale of legal cannabis. Um, and so what do you feel like? I know from our conversations, we've looked at how how the industry's matured and how brands have matured with it. But from a data perspective, what do you think are some of the the, the key points um, or the key areas where, where people are really winning and you feel like it's translating to success beyond just a PR metric? Uh, the, the, the success is really, I, I think the brands that are doing it best right now are, are focusing number one on the team, the talent. Uh, you know, talented folks who are working in an organization, they can go through the, the wicked West and come up on, on top. 
so right now the, the game's changing on a pretty frequent basis, whether it's a uh, advertising on your, your digital sites or the vape industry, getting a new regulation thrown on it. And that whether it's the bud tenders who are talented or it's the, the dispensary owners or the, the brands who are growing the product and packaging, yeah, the, the ones who can pivot the fastest are the ones that are, are biting little pieces of market share up and, uh, for everyone that I see doing that, uh, you look at any of the, these top lists coming out and there's three, five, 20 top list contenders. There's there's a laundry list of dead bodies that are not on that list. People, you know, dispensaries and brands that simply didn't make it or they're, they're in the startup space, they would call it a, a walking dead startup. They're, they're successful enough and have enough money to keep on going they're not successful enough to scale to the next level. Hmm. And so that's, that's probably something you're seeing a lot, you know, with just the way it's rolled out, you know, the way money has to fund these, the way big money's not in this cannabis itself has to look like a micro version of just start, right. The same startup culture you've been working in the last 15 years of all these ancillary and support businesses popping up, you know, locally around like a Microsoft or an Amazon um, cannabis is doing the same thing in its own, its own lane. Right. Yep. And it, it, it's not, it hasn't brought the sophistication across several different areas. So if you look at the uh, technology vendors and things like that in the, the category, in a more advanced thing like fast food, there might be hundreds of technology vendors. Uh, currently in the cannabis industry, there's 50 to 75. Hmm. Uh, right. So they, it's, we are still off from this mass adoption of having a lot of good choices fulfillment so the 50 to 75 tech providers and data providers that are currently out there uh you know three years from now we're going to have 700 of them mm -hmm. and a lot of those are going to be coming are going to be downscaling from other industries so we're going to see stuff like the accounting tools we're going to see quickbooks get into the category we're going to see salesforce get into the category uh most of these larger yeah, with New York legalizing, QuickBooks and Salesforce will be on Quick. Yep, yep. That's the financial section of the world, so. Well, and some of the, the directories, so I, I've done a lot of directory projects in my, my startup ecosystem life. Um, I've done everything from food sites for millions of recipes to jobs. Uh, you, you look at what's happening right now, and a lot of dispensaries and retail points are, are relying on services like Leafly and Weed Maps at a time when Google's basically knocking those types of entities off the map. So uh, a lot of the major directories, you, you look at services like Yelp, uh, Google's eating their lunch and it's, they've Google simply become a, a monolithic entity that's absorbing all of these niche industry players. And that's true uh, for Yelp at retail. It's true across the travel tourism, category hotels car rentals anything that there's a directory version of google has successfully hoovered that in <laughs> you, you see that a lot just by lo looking at search and going on for a dispensary search term and pulling up your favorite spot and pretty soon you're, you're getting a 10 of your favorite photos all the reviews the 15 different products and you haven't even left the first page of google right right 
And so, and so with that being said, I mean, how important do you feel like it is, you know, cause it's something Joey and I preach all the time. If you're going to advertise on weed maps, Leafly and get great ROI, that's great, but you need to be investing in assets you control, um, which you can plant flags on Google with, whether it's social media profiles, especially your website. But I mean, how, how important do you think that is a in the short term and then b in the long term for this industry? I think it's the, the most important part is understanding where the trend is on those different things. So whether it's being on top of Google, it's, it's understanding what you're building. And one of the reasons I always say Legos is a great example is because, you know, if somebody comes along and kicks over your castle, you still have all these pieces. And if you're a smart person, you know what pieces are important to you. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and as soon as you want to build something else out of this pile of Legos, if you've got a plan, if you know where you have to be tomorrow, if you know what kid wants to play with you, right, you, you can immediately take the assets that you have and you can reconstruct and move forward. Uh, the The current gap that's happening in the industry is somebody's developing a website or they're getting on one of these directory services and they're doing a one-shot wonder, right? Like, Hey, I'm making all this money, and you, you saw this a lot, uh, especially in like Washington State when all the dispensaries got their licenses. The first two years, the competition wasn't properly there, so that everybody was making money hand over fist, even though they were doing most of the things wrong. And as that has matured, they they have now doubled down and said, "Up, oh, I make money because we do this one thing really well," or we. <laughs> We have a, a YouTube video and, and we know that process and we're going to get millions of views. Eventually that is going to change and your your sacred cow that makes all your money is going to vaporize. So startup 101 as you're, as you're scaling a company is to develop as many prongs to that. Mm. And we've had that conversation a lot with the RMR team. Social media is their SEO. Is it live events? Like the answer is all of the above, mm. right? And knowing that when your live events get nailed by the pandemic, that you can immediately change gears, right? You've got a transmission. You you immediately double down on something that's working, right? Not going right. through a six to twelve month learning curve while everybody else is making money, right? No, and that's so important. I was just, I was literally on the phone earlier with a couple people behind uh, one of the large or two different calls with people behind large ad platforms in cannabis. And something they consistently said was the people that came and just wanted to test something, you know, spend a little bit of money into a test campaign, you know, were significantly in like the results sucked compared to the people that were like, I want to work for 60 to 90 days, work hand in hand to develop a campaign that's actually working. And, you know, I know me and you have spoke about that previously, whether you're converting real estate leads or doing anything, you know, you need to run in. And Joey knows this from a lot of the campaigns he's been behind for us is seeing stuff out for 60 to 90 days, because even the same campaign might not work in 30 days for whatever, you know, maybe it's the media cycle, maybe it's whatever happened in the world. But that same campaign can start working. But more importantly, you need a data set or a little bit of time to know what's working, what's not, and why. Yep. Well, it's about identifying those Lego pieces, really, like what's working and preparing for the future for when it's not working, right? And also developing the risk tolerance that when you you see something's working to to whip out a checkbook and say, I'm going to 
twofold it, fivefold it, tenfold it, right? I'm going to write a big check because for 30 to 90 days, that might be the money maker. It might also shut off, right? So option A, get ready to write a big check. Option B, get ready to pull it down to zero and do something else. Right. Right. Got to be, got to be flexible. Where do you feel the market is at percentage wise in terms of maturity in like on the West Coast, the most mature markets in cannabis? What what percentage would you give them in terms of market maturity right now? Uh, so I actually use a system. Uh, it's a very open one called the technology readiness level. It's a, a system that NASA uses. A bunch of startups in the European nations use. It's a one to nine scale. Uh, you know, every industry as they're developing these new things uh, has a one to nine. One's like a, you have an idea on a napkin and the nine is it's battle proven and we want to make a hundred thousand of them and use them on a daily basis. Yeah. Right now, if, if you look at the most sophisticated ones in Colorado and California, they're like maybe threes. Right. Okay. Uh, Washington's uh, a two or a three. So when you're talking on a nine scale, uh, that validation, we'll, we'll probably see a, a California and Colorado uh, move into the four and five because the, the amount of money and, and sort of expertise that's going to happen over the next 12 to 18 months is going to accelerate things. Uh, but the new newer states that are opening up are effectively borrowing or stealing the plans from the guys who came before them. Mm. Right. So you you can pretty much look at whether it's Michigan opening up, New York, uh, they they stole most of the, the, the components of their plan from somebody else. So sure. they they don't start at a, a zero or a one. They, they're going to start at a two or three right sort of score and, and move up from there. What are the, what would you say are the primary factors that provide you know that that kind of dictate those lower scores? Uh, the the biggest ones are, are team capabilities. So uh, as the industry matures and the salaries sort of stabilize, the, the true performers, the guys that are worth 10 or 100 people, uh, they're, they're going to have their, their salaries and their income levels capped off. Uh, and you're not going to see this migration. If, if you look at it, uh, something like LinkedIn, the amount of senior level talent that is in a cannabis role for six to like 15 months is ridiculous. Like, oh, I did, I did my 12 months here. Boom, I'm off to the next company. Uh, you see that in some startup industries. But in cannabis, it's gotten a, to a catastrophic level, actually. That, yeah. Hey, I, I see Mitch is a great guy. He's, like, doing some good ideas. I'm just going to pick up the phone and offer him 50% more. Double his, double his income, right? Most common people would be like, hey, I'm going to take the offer, right? Uh so one of the things that is not locking these people in for the most part is uh, unlike many of the other startup industries that lock those employees in with all sorts of stock options and vesting th scenarios, uh, most cannabis operations aren't willing to do that. They, they haven't structured the ownership and the equity to the business. In fact, there's two or three license holders and they're like, no, 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 you can't touch this, right? Like we want to take all the profit out of it. We want to make the million dollar business. And as a bud tender, we want to offer you $18 an hour. And so from an investment side, is it almost like, you know, the ownership, a lot of the ownership and the funding right now is 
smaller in the scale of uh, the, the wide scale of funding across any industry. And so there might be just like a little bit more, is it maybe more greed just to, to that nature, that level of investor that like puts up probably a majority of their life savings or work. And so they really need that to work out and extract the profits as opposed to when we see more traditional investors where this is just one of 100 things in a fund. So if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's, it's less kind of, you know, survival mode. Yeah. I mean, the, the market sophistication is actually sort of in parallel with the investors sophistication. So you, you, you sort of said it in the fact that most investors currently in the category don't have a portfolio of cannabis companies. They've, they've backed one or two entities and that's their sacred cow. Um, so they really put all their eggs in one basket, right? And it, there's obviously big returns at that stage. If it, if it happens to be the unicorn and it gets to the end of the game and it, it becomes public or it you know, hits 500 or a thousand employees like that investor gets a big reward. But in the, startup ecosystem where we're looking at 17 to 19 out of 20 companies failing and any good business analyst is going to tell you that you know, cannabis is not going to be a, an outlier to a high percentage of failures yeah right, so. makes sense it's the same old risk as always yeah there it it's actually going or to be with really more restrictions more restrictions uh smaller market uh less voice there's there there isn't a monolithic lobbying voice for cannabis at the federal level i mean we, we like as a community to see it and we we lock hands a lot of times in the industry but if you look at something like food workers or you know the the, the steel workers of america like cannabis is nowhere near yeah, there's that type a of lobbying thing. force like that we need right, the like NRA, I, we need the nra and their money. We even went to it as uh, I, there was a thread a couple of days ago that we had some commentary about Uber getting into the game, and you know, Uber's been fighting the taxi unions, like all the transportation, the civil engineers, like uh, literally millions of license holders who have fought them. And some of those, those guys who are fighting them are out of New York, so you know, a, a medallion in New York is a million dollar item. A lot of us think, oh, it's just a taxi cab. It's like, no, that little medallion that goes on a taxi cab, that's a 700000 to a $1 million item for that taxi cab. And you have a taxi cab owners who have hundreds or thousands of these things, right? And uh, they, they have spent a significant amount of their money to put up many barricades and blocks so that they can continue to make money. And... That's where cannabis is going to have some interesting impacts. So you, you watch New York open up and you look at all the, the liquor shops, the the smoke shops, uh, the lounges, right? You're, you're, you are dealing with some pretty major markets that those individuals and those industries have protected themselves. One of the ways they did that is through re regulation and, and late, the lobbyist movements. And so, yeah, I can definitely see that that happening. The lobbying for cannabis at a, at a much higher level is going to help roll out that roadmap and, and mature the industry. And do you think like in your experience with working, you know, I, I know you've worked with a couple markets that, you know, emerging or, or taboo or whatever we want to call it. Um, do you feel like when things start happening for those industries, it's pretty quick or you feel like it is a slow process all the way through? 
Uh, no, it's it's usually pretty quick. Uh, usually what happens is somebody's positioned themselves that whatever change is holding everybody else up, they're, they're either in the know or they're the ones driving that change. So, uh, you know, whether you look at some of the larger players in this industry that are putting hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars into setting up the dominoes, right? They're, they're playing a big game in the mon Monopoly, uh, hoping that somebody locks up the right three or four squares on the board. Uh, it, it's a risky move because other players are trying to do the same thing on the Monopoly board. They're trying to stack the, the deck in their favor. And whoever gets there first at some of these major markets is, is the, really has an unfair advantage. Mm -hmm. And you, you can see that somewhat with the, the new administration and some of the legalization that's happening just this year that, uh, you know, there are some players in the category that are, are well positioned with the relationships they have. Right. And you, you can see some of these policies going through at the state level and, and even guys like us, you, you read, read the basic document and you're like, wow, that one bullet point that, that eradicates like 50% of the competition right there. Mm -hmm. One simple line. That's crazy. That's so true though, too. We've seen that happen with multiple categories and types of products just being removed from the offerings in specific states. Right. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah. Leg legislation is something. And that's something I personally think as we move forward towards federal legalization, you know, I, I feel like the majority of people kind of have these, these, uh, glossy, uh, you know, glasses when they're looking at it and they're just thinking like, oh, once once federal legalization's here, like it'll be all open. We'll be able to advertise on Facebook and Google. It will be treated as a real business. And I think you know, I personally think as, as federal legalization comes and you just have more, it's just going to be more regulation. Um, maybe, you know, certain tools and avenues will open up. But, you know, I definitely feel like there's just going to be more regulation. The government's going to have a more defined way of, of extracting dollars at a, at a high consistent level. And and it's not going to be the uh, the rainbow fields that a lot of people feel it's going to be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially on the advertising side, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with people who are like, oh, as soon as it's legal, Facebook's going to take our money. It's like, uh, I can point to a laundry list on the Facebook policy site that there are 50 plus categories that Facebook knows is, those categories are fully legal. They've been legal for years, sometimes decades. Facebook says we don't want your money. Right. So there, there are not only political, but personal decisions at Facebook or Google or many of these other companies that they don't have to take your money. They're private companies. Um, more, more importantly than being just a private decision, it's usually a money driven one. Right. So, uh, you know, obviously, if you uh, have a very kumbaya community, you're not going to get into a mortal combat uh, offering. You're not going to bring something that's toxic to your company and you're not going to promote that. Right. You can see that at LinkedIn. LinkedIn won't let you bring in a competitive product. Uh, if Facebook looks at this community and says, this is the next step of people enjoying themselves at sporting events, music festivals, things like that, uh, they're going to put inhibitors on it because that jeopardizes their current revenue stream. Right. Right. I mean, you saw that actually just with Facebook with the pandemic when they made it against their policy to let musicians do live events on Facebook. Right? Right. They, they, they didn't want musicians to monetize that. Facebook wants to monetize that. Right.
Right, hundred. Yeah, they they, they want to be the they want to be the outlet, the hub, and then you can start selling merch, but you give up a percentage there. You know, the, the coming in with that three sixty deal. Yep. Um, yeah, it is so true. So you know, kind of back to the topic of, of data. There are a couple players in this space. I know through our you know some of our private conversations, um, both you and I, and with these other data companies. You know, a lot a lot of the industry isn't leveraging data quite yet so before i get into kind of ways that they can do that and better that what are some of the ways that you've seen from an outside perspective of people leveraging data in a a good way or something that at least give you a golf clap from you i know you're probably not gonna be screaming with applause from the stands but but what are some of the areas that you see uh data being leveraged correctly in this space i think for more of the boutique uh players the ones that haven't scaled up uh the ones that are are doing it successful are the ones that are really getting behind a an audience or a community persona, right? They're, they're, they've stepped away from what you see at so many dispensaries of we sell weed and we'll sell weed to anybody. And they've, they've locked down and said, no, we're, we're going to sell it to this type of school mom, or we're going to sell it to this type of skateboarder. Right. And they, they understand that they're a community driven process mm -hmm. and they've really locked down onto that. And it, that, especially locks down for our RMR that that's what it's about. Uh, right. If you have your community secure and you understand it, you sort of know where the, the content's going and you know what they want, right? You, when something bad happens, you know where the community is going to go. Right? Uh, we could probably send out a poll to, to most of the, the dispensaries out there saying, would you like to you know buy more product or not? And they, they actually don't know why their customer is doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They just looked at the pandemic and said, wow, people are buying a lot of this. But did they actually understand that their customers are sad, they're depressed, they're anxious, that they, they're looking for a release? Uh, did they actually, were they ready to communicate that when it happened? Mm. Right. And you know, I, I live uh, not too far north of, of Seattle. And you, know, you look at the major employers, and there's a, a couple major employers, obviously, that some of the, the dispensaries locally probably have a 20 to 40% customer base off one or two employers. Same, same is true of, of some school dispensaries. Yeah, they're not allowed on university, but they know exactly 25, 30% of their audience is from campus. Mm -hmm. Yep. Tourism. Tourism. Yeah. But if you know you're next to an airport, you know exactly who you're, you're servicing. Uh, you're not servicing everybody. You're servicing a very select community that you've really chosen to understand. So if, on the data side, that's where I'd say that that's the win is people who are using tools to understand that category that they know they serve and that is going to be with them for the long run. Right. And, and that's the brand positioning, understanding your brand, understanding your voice, understanding who you're speaking to, where they're at all dictates, you know, your purchasing, your sales, your, your marketing outreach, and absolutely right. That's, that's just a key example of, of data aligning with everything else. So what, what are some of the areas that you see could be improved upon looking at data? I'm sure what you just talk about can be improved on greatly by a lot of people, but what are some areas that kind of blatantly stand out to you where you just look and you're like, man, people are just not looking at the data or the trends? Oh, uh, well, I'm, I just pulled a, a list of a couple thousand dispensary sites across the U.S. and pulled all their analytics down for what they're doing online. You know what type of sites they're running and SEO. Yeah. I was pretty saddened over the fact that 
roughly a quarter of the quarter of the licenses out there that have a either, either a, a weed maps, a Yelp, or a Leafly listing, they don't even have websites. <laughs> I mean, when when I uh, look at a dispensary, if I look at any business and and your website or or social presence is a Google Places you know account where three or four photos of your little shanty with a, a welcome sign is is posted. Uh, that's not yours, <laughs> right? Like that's whatever Google wants to do with it. Uh, and that's, that's where the leaf leaves, weed maps and Yelp they're they're making so much money off this industry because that laggard category of the 20 or 30% that don't bother doing this stuff, yeah. the basics, uh, Yelp's taking all that traffic and selling it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Leafly's taking all that traffic and selling it to somebody else. Yeah. So it's good for a more established company that is on one of these platforms properly. But for that little guy who's a three to 20 person employer who doesn't think it's worth it, um, you just lost your business and you don't know it. Yeah. And Get yeah, it's so every day. It's powerful. And that's, you know, Joey and I, and I know yourself, you know, we've, we've invested in, websites for businesses that have never even launched you know and we see businesses that have been around for a year making revenue and will come up with i don't want to invest in the website and it's just like in in this day and age man that's like that's it might not be step one but that's in the first three steps is you need to get your website up it needs to be up but it it, it covers two or three different topics it's not just for the customers it's for the employees it's for the community right like if if an, a prospective employee can't find you, you know, thousands of bud tenders want to apply at your, your place, but they can't even get your contact information. Like right. you, you are doing yourself a huge disservice. Facts. In fact, I, I see multiple dispensaries on our, on various analytic dashboards that I touch that they're getting hundreds of applications on a monthly basis for various roles. Uh, some of them aren't even checking those resumes, right? Like they, they don't even bother responding. Uh, that that's scary when an organization gets a hundred applications a day and they don't even have an HR person to respond. Right. Right. They say, Hey Mitch, like we don't have a slot for you today, but we'd love to keep you on the list and keep you in mind. Or, what are you really looking for? Right. Uh, have that five minute conversation because they're, they're too worried that, Hey, Thursday at five o'clock, we're going to have too many customers at the counter. We need, we need everybody on hand to, to fulfill orders. Uh, those, those employees and prospective team members are far more valuable than one or two customers. I'm not saying that customers aren't worth their weight in gold. Sure. But every employee is going to touch a thousand customers. Mm. All right. Uh, and you, you see that, uh, I know Joey's brought it up before, uh, you, you look at the, the liquor and nightclub industry. Top bartenders up. Oh, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go down the street. I'm going to take my 500 patrons with me. How many times have we seen that in the cannabis ecosystem? Oh yeah. That's a real thing. Yeah. I, I could just off the social data that's out there with, with retail staff tell you exactly who needs to have their, their salaries tripled because they're going right. to bring a thousand customers with them. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy to think about. Yeah, well, that's sort of the scary part where when the, the new money comes into this ecosystem, uh, there's a lot of conversations saying, oh, it takes a lot of experience. But if, if you have a 
more or less an unlimited bank account and you're just willing to double, triple, quadruple paychecks and hire a hundred people, you're going to get the hundred best people in cannabis in California. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, you, you might have a harsh bottom line the first year, but you're going to have the, the stellar a team and all of their relationships for the, you know, the, the cost of $50 million. And it sounds like a big number, but that's in the, the industrial startup category, doing an aqua hire where you just buy companies up or buy employees up is, is a no brainer. Right. It's a growth act. I don't think even, I don't think most of the people watching this even understand what you're saying. Well, I will understand what there's, I say when they almost no employees are getting non-competes. So that's one data point. Uh, uh, I look at all of the, the postings on various different job platforms. There's, there's uh, very little in the education space that locks those people down. There's very little stock incentives that locks those people down. There's not a, a non-compete or a, a, an NDA process for most dispensaries. In fact, I, I can't honestly come think of a dispensary where I've, I've seen a, a retail person get a non-disclosure contract when they they get their employment i can't <laughs> people are willing to sh- share that information to them and that's the thing it's a small industry you know and and people aren't taking those precautions well, it, they're not taking the precaution but it gets scarier because when i put on the the bad guy hat and say what about the data the the dark side of the the equation is the data breach right so you have all these retail staff and, and, and members who have access to your various inventory, customer controls, right? So you think of them as a bud tender who makes 20 bucks an hour. They think of it as, oh, look, I've got access to the cash register and the 20,000 accounts that are here. Right? Insert thumb drive, download spreadsheet. Hey, boss, I'm quitting. Mm-hmm. Right? That most of the inventory customer control systems that are currently in market don't have those precautions to protect the customer data. Right. So we, we haven't seen too many of them. Actually, unfortunately, in Washington, we did see a couple data breaches in the cannabis space. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we're going to see a lot more at the dispensary level and some of the, the grow producer level here in the next year, year and a half. Right. Yeah. They're now this- good targets for, for bad people. Yeah. And- I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I think, I don't think a lot of people have, you know, thought about that. And it's just, I think it's the nature of some of these smaller businesses, just not, not, not applying, you know, corporate mythology or, you know, to their process. Um, you got to protect yourself. And so, you know, one, one other thing I want to ask you about, cause I know you've done this um, in various verticals, but when looking at the data for like influencer marketing campaigns, you know, and a lot of which is hot in cannabis, especially in California, and a lot of people just simply hire people that have following, you know, based on follower count. Some people look into their, you know, their engagement or their their targeted engagement of where their followers are at. But what are some of the ways that you look at um, from the back end of setting up an influencer campaign to make sure it's set up for success? Uh, the the largest one for success is the length of the campaign. So if the, the shorter the campaign it, that's being enacted, the worst case scenario sort of escalates at that point because 
if somebody is doing something short term, uh, whether it's to drive clicks to a website or, you know, customers on a special event day, uh, that's a one-off experience for them. And they're usually, I say that's a worst case scenario is because uh, they're doing it for the money and only the money, right? They're not doing it for the relationship, but they're also doing it from a perspective that because it's a one-off or a short-term project, they're looking to take those learnings and, and do it with somebody else as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So if they get really, really good at this, they're going to do it for your company, you know, dispensary A and then B and C and D and all the competitors down the street. Right. Whether it's a, a $5,000 influencer campaign or not. Uh, if, if you really want to build a, an influencer strategy for success, you have to have a circle of trust. You actually have to figure out who you're you're going to get in a relationship with for quite a bit of time, right? Six, 12, 18 months so that they understand there's going to be some learning lessons. And when they learn those lessons, they're going to take that education and use it on your behalf. Hmm. Interesting. And that's good to look at because, you know, we all know not every advertising campaign goes the way you intend. Um, and sometimes, you know, your level of, of, uh, trust in it might be low from the start, but even stuff that you think, oh, this is going to be a home run. Um, it can sometimes clearly be a dud for a million variables inside and outside of our control. But I think that's absolutely a great point because if I pay Joey for an influencer campaign and it sucks, I'm, I might, you know, a traditional mindset is, oh, Joey is terrible he's not worth the value and it could just be situational it could be maybe the input it could you know it could be a, a wide variety of things so that's absolutely i think a gem of what you just said of the power of working long term to see what works and double and to speak on what you said earlier double down on things that do work um rather than just flash in the pan things because it's definitely it's it's hard to gauge success on on one thing well, and there's, it's not just hard to gauge success. There's a lot of people out there that are unfortunately very good at being bad. And they, they if you put a metric or a qualifier that they have to hit, they figured out a way to cheat the system to make that one metric happen. And they take their $10,000 or whatever you paid them and they disappear. They, they go to the bank and say, have a nice day. Uh, that is pretty much every industry, whether it's uh, people buying links and promotion for SEO or influencers, you know, making a mention on Instagram for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you, you can see some of that on the Instagram channels. I'm sure if, if you just take a look at the top hundred sort of celebrities in the space, the number of things they're sort of rotating through on a, a weekly or a monthly basis, uh, the consistency tells you pretty quick of what their their strategy is i'm going to operate this meat grinder and take a lot of money and next month i don't have to worry about your brand because there's going to be three more to take your place mm -hmm. <laughs> Bump it, dump it. yeah we we see that a lot and some i mean something we see from the agency agency perspective is pairing an influencer with a brand uh and then them working together with us out of the equation that happens almost every single time, whether it's music or cannabis, um, it's usually the brand that we work with that, you know, promises to not overstep and overstep. But, um, ultimately it's on, on us to lock in 
you know, the better paperwork and, and better situations that are long-term preach to these people, the value of working long-term. So we can also add our value to that equation long-term. Um, and speaking of Instagram, what, what are some of the drivers in looking at data? Like how important do you think it is being active on Instagram in this industry in relation to the actual size and scale of your brand sales? Do you feel like they correlate? Do you feel like there's a disconnect? Do you feel like some points it's either or? A lot of cases, it's an either or. Um, specifically in this category, uh, the main problem is that most of the, the larger influencer campaigns that I see, um, when you look at the, the sophistication of what's happening on the website, mobile, what they're doing at the store level in the real world, uh, they're not at the level of, of actually tracking how that functions for them. Thanks. Right? So... Sure, they, they got a spike of 500 people liking their Facebook and Instagram posts, but they don't actually know what to do with that, right? So they they do point at it next, you know, on the weekend and say, well, look, we got a thousand people to like our Instagram account. We got more followers, but they actually haven't done the math or installed the analytic systems properly to know it's not just a thousand, you know, it's not a fictional number on Instagram that's going up. It's actually a cash register a new employee hire, something is actually driving revenue for the business. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And it's looking at a difference. So, you know, we, we're, we're getting close to that, that hour that we're going to, that we usually try to hold it to on the show. So yep. to, to, I don't want to leave it super open-ended, but is there anything else that you feel like people should know out there when it comes to data, the cannabis space, um, some ways that you could potentially help their business, plug yourself, any, anything like that? Oh, I mean, the, there's so many ways to help a business. It, that, that'd be a long conversation. The, <laughs> the, the core ones are, uh, you know, take the time to educate yourself on these categories. Um, the, I, I, being in cannabis doesn't mean you're in cannabis. Being in business means you're in cannabis. Uh, you, you can say you're in the cannabis industry all day long, but if you don't back it up with common business acumen, uh, there are many other sophisticated industries that are far ahead of where cannabis is. Uh, take the time to read some of their case studies. Visit sites like Google that has a data studio and a whole list of, of learning materials. Mm-hmm. And read it from a different lens, like take it with a grain of salt, but understand trillions of dollars have been spent designing this stuff. Uh, cannabis uh, really doesn't have anything new to the to the process, right? People want a good time. They want a good product. They want to feel good, have a good community, frictionless experience at the counter, right? All the things that pretty much every other category of business is said for the past hundred years. Mm -hmm. uh, learn from those lessons and then really look at the what's being offered out in the marketplace of, of cannabis and say, is this the same thing? Right. I, the conclusion there for me is that most of what's being offered in the cannabis ecosystem, uh, you would rate poorly in the big picture. If you if you did have a choice, you would use QuickBooks or Google or whatever the, the top tier Salesforce provider is. Uh, and if you don't know what you're buying, uh, 
you're going to spend a lot of money getting tools and services. And at the end of the day, think, wow, the guy who sold me a cannabis tool or, or told me I'd get, you know, the best employees on the face of the planet for the business. Uh, you were looking at it from an unrealistic, inexperienced perspective. Mm. Mm. It's tough. Yeah, it, it's really, it's really it's tough. tough. Ask questions, get a mentor group. That's probably the biggest one. Yeah, link, linking up with the businesses and the companies who have done it already in a fashion or, or have built brands already that, you know, that you kind of, you know, have respect for and how they, you know, how their process as well. Kind of learning learning about how they massively important. That's what we've done. We've been able to ask and work with so many different brands and learn from you as well. And the experience from the different industries is really been able to help different people fast track or fa even fast track us to helping other people. Yep. Well, and you just look at the, all the industry and figure out the, the ones that are, are on the top of the list because they're spending a lot of money on marketing and brand messaging. When in fact their business is non-functional, the other, we probably see all those horror stories on a daily basis. Somebody doing bankrupt or getting charged with embezzlement in this industry. Uh, we don't need that type of stuff. But the, the being able to spend uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars on marketing saying you're amazing, uh, unfortunately, the, the, the category is still listening to those messages saying, wow, you know, Bob says he's good. Bob Bob's all over you know, the, the NASDAQ sign. Uh, Bob yeah, nobody good. knows these companies are doing poorly or that their product's not good. They just see the press yeah. and the ads and the marketing and think it's just a, all funding games until they get there and then it's not good. Well, even uh, the one I would would give you as the best example to tie it up is uh, you see a lot of these acquisitions going on and everybody tries to say, wow, this is a, an amazing thing. This this dispensary, this grower got bought by some larger entity uh, in the startup space. They they do that all the time, but it's usually for less than what the company is worth because the conversation goes, hey, I see you've got 50 employees and you don't have the revenue, right? Your Your business is underwater. I will hire everybody on your team, give them the same salaries. I'm, I'm just acquiring all of your employees. But the next day there's a press release about it saying how amazing it is. And, and the, the, the acid test of that is you look at the founders and the core executive team. And if those people are getting acquired in the process and don't like quit their jobs in six to 12 months, it probably wasn't that good a deal. Hmm. Interesting. Somebody buys my company for $25 million. I'm, I'm going to pocket a whole bunch of that money and, and, you know, sit on the beaches and enjoy my Mai Tais. So you're seeing that a lot in the, the, the public companies and the, the companies that have hundreds of millions of dollars to spend right now is there's a, a lot of semi questionable acquisitions taking place. So it's my, but my they look really good. Might be a little more paper than substance to, to some of these stories. It's a good story, though. That's awesome. So uh, before we get you out of here, where, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can uh, visit our data site for cannabis, which is 421data.com. And uh, they can find me through uh, RMR and Conversations uh, whereabouts online. Yeah, hit, hit us up if you all have any questions regarding data for Barry, anything regarding SEO, websites hiring, uh, projections, revenue, scaling your business, 
trying to get to the moon, anything about gravitational forces and designing <laughs> mass destruction, also experience in dark wizardry. Did I say that? Is that all correct? Am I right with all that? Yes, I've touched all those things, but I, I only do those on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Barry. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us today, man. Yeah, man. Thank you. It was a great conversation. All right. So that was that was our guest, Barry Hurd. Excellent, uh, smart, smart individual. He we asked him, requested that he dumbed it down for us so that Joey and I could understand what he's saying. But uh, <laughs> that Barry was the glossy eyed look I had the whole podcast. I'm just like, huh? Yep, getting game. Yep. Um, he said a lot of important things in there. You know, one of them I think resonates and, and echoes what we say a lot on here and just in our normal conversations. Um, you know, he mentioned that a lot of dispensaries are leaning strictly on Google listings or weed maps or Yelp. And he said, you do not own those. That is space that you lease. And it's actually space that you invest your time and money because somebody down your line is either sacrificing money or you're paying money to run it to build up a traffic platform that is literally sold to your competitor without your control. Um, it is important to invest in your own assets and social media profiles are not assets because those can also be stripped at you at the drop of a dime. Many of us in yeah. cannabis know that. You got to think, right? He said 25% or so of the people of the companies, the dispensaries that he ran, you know, I think a thousand or 2000 report uh, list. Right. Um, and we've been a part of, we've seen those lists. We've seen the thousands of dispensaries. Right. So it's like, the reality is, is that if a quarter of those don't even have websites, a quarter of those are probably overspending and just pouring money into it because that's how their business survives, right? And then you've got another quarter that are probably just chilling and spending bare minimum just because they don't know what else to do and they're not financially can't can't or they financially just are afraid and can't and won't, right? So yep. you know, that's four quarters right there. So you know, Weed Maps and Leafly, they can really flick a switch and, and kind of change the direction and stream traffic and sales one way or the other. And, you know, Google kind of has the ability to do that. They're obviously not dedicating any attention to cannabis stuff whatsoever. So or, or YouTube really as well. So it's like, you know, the real the reality comes down that you should be investing, you know, into content on your own platform, on your own publication again. The only, if you're watching this podcast, the only reason why you got here is because we've built a brand based on content around specific terms, specific things in specific places with a purpose and a goal to acquire people's attention on those topics, about those people, about those products, about those things and places, hikes, dispensaries, restaurants, whatever it is. So, you know, you know, I think the thing to take away from Barry uh, and all this is to, you know, continue investing time and energy into building your own assets, content piece by content piece, making sure that it ranks digitally in SEO, that you're then distributing it through your socials and your newsletters and any of the avenues that you have that you can make money or that you can drive promotional traffic towards. Right. So, um, he yeah. Barry really dumbed it down for all of us. I'm sure he could have gone on and on, but you know, the reality is, is get your website, build it, keep building it, stop spending so much money on these other platforms, spend more money on yourself and educating the people and that spend the most money with you. Um, there, there's, there's one of my favorite reports that I read about data it comes from the headset group. It really dives in and talks about, you know, the heroes and the people that make up the majority of money on your business. They spend money consistently. It's a larger size basket. 
um, and they're willing to support on social media and engage at higher levels and continue. So those kinds of people also refer business, right? And so if you're a small business in a local, in a smaller community, less than a hundred thousand people in your city, or even if you've got a million plus people in your city, you have the ability to identify the, the uh, some, some key things about groups of people. Go out of your way to find out who's shopping at your store, what they buy, what they like, what do they like about your store, and continue to replicate that. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. You'll increase your sales. More people will hear about you. The reviews will go through the roof. And then from there, you can just kind of start to add on, add on a little additional experiences. You know, talking to people, you know, using their first name, making sure that every single person gets offered standard greetings and standard out, you know, uh, goodbyes. Um, you know, offering a truly elevated experience includes more than just offering things for sale at different pricings and shit like that, right? So there, yep. there's really a lot that goes into providing the best customer experience for your heroes, for your money makers, for your tourists, for the people that are stopping by, for the people that are just shopping based on, a, you know, the local deal of the week, right? So there's so many different reasons why people shop. You really got to dive into that information. 100%. Um... And then I want to say, Micah, I saw you drop a question on there. We're going to get to that in one second. I just want to finish up this recap of Barry. Something he said to me that stood out incredibly was, um, you know, the view of employees. This is a high turnover industry. Most sales positions, whether you're working at the mall or just sales of anything in general, is high turnover. It's just the nature of, of sales. Um, but something that he mentioned that stood out to me was every employee is going to touch 1000 customers. And sometimes, you know, and he said the mindset of ensuring that all employees are on the sales floor to, so you don't miss a customer. You'd rather, you know, pull your, instead of having a full-time marketing person, you have a bud tender that does marketing, yet you're always pulling them over for marketing to do bud tending. And what he was saying is, you know, maybe if you just let that person do whatever, whether it's HR marketing, whatever, you could let that person, maybe you lose a couple customers a week, but what that person can impact on your business will greatly outweigh continually pulling people away to fight these fires. Um, that was just something that was super impactful. You know, one employee touches a thousand customers. Yeah. You, you Look, spent the right HR person, you know, can get a really quality one, three to $4,000, you know, a month, uh, over the course of a year, 36 to $48,000, they hire a butt tender. That bud tender can can come in and do three to four thousand dollars a day, you know, uh, in the at the right dispensary with the right training, the right education, the right investment into their knowledge and into their customer service base. Hello, Mitch. Nice to meet you. What brings you in today? You know, we're offering a special if you're interested. Otherwise, you know, let's talk about some weed today. You know, just some real friendly, authentic look them in the eye and respectful stuff to everyone. Uh, hiring a diverse staff so that way you can offer and potentially switch in and out of people you know why uh you know talking to an older person or a younger person or language barriers all these things are, are always going to be involved in everyday society and being able to provide an experience for any type of person that you can visit uh who visits your retailer is going to be important um you know in in la we've got a lot a lot of spanish-speaking people correct you know how many bud tenders are people hiring that can speak Spanish, right? Huge, huge thing. I would, I would assume that the Asian American community is probably, uh, you know, not getting service the same to the same capacity as most 
uh, general, you know, Caucasian white people communities. So it's one of these things where as the community and, and the industry continues to grow, hopefully they can start to invest more into training and more diversity, more inclusion. Um, and we'll start to see a higher level of service, a higher level of education. I think all those things will lead to more revenues and an overall expansion of the community. One thing that people always forget about is as, as small an infancy as this industry is, there's still tens of millions of consumers buying all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And that's still so small compared to how many people shop at grocery stores every day, how many people get gasoline every day, right. how many people buy cigarettes every single day, right? Worldwide, things like that, water bottles worldwide, right? So as cannabis truly opens up, as the door and the light truly does shine on this whole thing existing in every state, in hundreds of countries worldwide, I think we'll start to see a like a meteoric shift in people understanding. I think we'll start to see more suits and chads and brads and Karens get in the space, uh, good ones and bad ones. I think overall we'll start to just see a saturated market where people are going to get away from doing these other industry jobs that they don't like and start to try to get into cannabis and CBD. Mm -hmm. um, I welcome it. I come from technology. I come from roughing basketball, right? Remember those days, Mitch? And you and I are both college graduates. So it's not like you and I are straight up California humble trappers. You know, that's not, that's not our whole, that's not our gist, right? So um, although we've done some of these things and we've been a part in, of some of those activities throughout our life, like we're certainly not a 20 year, 30 year cannabis OG veteran to that capacity, right? So um, it'll be interesting to see all these OGs and these corporate marketers and these influencers from other spaces start to all work together and, and become cohesive, right? You know, celebrities and athletes. We saw a major shift in sports over the last two years becoming much more cannabis friendly. We've seen so many states legalized in terms of medical and recreational. Um, uh, Denver just legalized uh, social equity, uh, approved, put, you know, put through a social equity program, I believe, and approved delivery mm -hmm. on 419. And so, Major things are shifting. Major, major things are happening, and data is ultimately going to tell the story, and it's going to identify lots of trends for people to, uh, if they use the data, and they can look at the metrics and they can understand things at a higher level, then they'll be able to hire better people, make more money, and better serve their customers. Hundred percent, hundred percent. We do. We have, we have a question that was pertaining to the websites, um, but from an artist perspective, Micah, you ch chime in the comments if you're still with us, man. If not, you can get this on the replay. Um, but he asked, should artists have websites? Um, Absolutely, yeah. right. So yeah, the reality is is that if you only have Spotify, if you only have Instagram, if you only have SoundCloud, uh, Apple Music, Tidal, you know all the all of those things, then Technically, you're only you're only available to that consumer base. And so it forces your customer to download Apple, to pay a subscription just to have access to your music. When in reality, <coughs> excuse me, that you want to send someone to the location where all your music can be located. And I think it goes without saying that if you have, you know, not, it doesn't necessarily have to be a link tree, but if you have a location that can have all of your links to all of the locations where your music is available and sold and streamed, then you are more likely to get a consumer to, to utilize a platform that they are already friendly and signed up to. You and I pay for Spotify. The roommate is only an Apple music consumer. So we don't consume the same music every day, right? Mm -hmm. So 
we have access to some of the same music if those artists choose to have that content on all of the major streaming platforms. But the reality is, is these days we're starting to see people with a certain content or what's called exclusive content on just one platform. We're having, we're starting to see just, just video shows or behind the scene TVs on things like OnlyFans and Patreon, right? We're starting to see custom things on Clubhouse that are branded in a podcast method. We're starting to see, um, you know, obviously media and websites went from magazines at first to and newspapers at first to now they're doing blogs and digital, right? That, that's a, that's been a major shift in the last 30 years. So, you know, all these different avenues are important. A website is going to rank on Google. Google's the biggest search engine in the world. You know, I think it's the most important place to have all your stuff first. All your articles, all your press, all your music should be posted first on your website. And then your press releases should be distributed to the other areas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think a website is a must have for any brand, anyone that wants to be discovered on the Internet. Um, I will be working even with a website here soon and Jay Ping's choice or Jay Ping's something will, will be coming will be coming to life because, you know, I don't want to be sending all my traffic for my nickname just to Instagram all the time. Right. You, you want to you want to own that because like, you know, like we said in, in cannabis and it's very prevalent that your social media accounts can get shut down. Similar thing like Boosie has been shut down on on Instagram. Right. Um, and, and for a lot of people, um, you know, in this era, they solely survive off of their Instagram. And so having a website is somewhere where you can host, like Joey said, links to every single place your music's at, all your sing- social media profiles. Um, and have a store so it's just like you don't want to if someone says where's your music or send a link the last fucking thing you want to say is google me you know and then the la- the, the, the other the uh, the next worst thing you could do is like well if you're on spotify here if you're on youtube here then you're sending people six links and now you're just giving them more reason to be like nah i'm not interested if you just have one place to go or if i see your name and i think of it and google it later you know, you'd rather that person land on your website because then the next action they take is going to be very impactful. If I've Googled you, if I've clicked on a link to your website and now I'm engaging with something on your website, I'm going to be like, there's a high chance that I'm committed into that next action. If you click on a link, it's a lot of people click off websites within the first five seconds. The value of having a website significantly outweighs only having Instagram. It significantly outweighs only having Spotify. Like, let's just cut the fat. If you're a music artist and you're only on one music streaming place, you're freaking tripping. You're crazy and you're not you're not about to make it most likely. Like let's just be real because you're just doing business incorrectly. So, you got to have your stuff on all these different places. It's it's the most beneficial to have it that way. Now, in terms of like Instagram specifically versus the website, what you're talking about is absolutely on point. Instagram, yeah, you can sell through it and 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 there's a number of things that are absolutely positive and powerful that it can do in terms of advertising and all that stuff. But the reality is, is, is that it's better served as a marketing tool to, to acquire com- and gain access to communities that are already on there and have it be targeted and have it be a niche audience and then having them go straight to your website to make an informed decision. And the reason why that matters is because on Instagram, you're not going to be able to empower loyalty through your newsletter. You're not going to be able to empower certain other elements of your brand experience that are ultimately going to encourage loyalty or build brand for you. Uh, it's going to build brand for Instagram the whole time along the way, if it's only on Instagram. And so ultimately you want to control that experience and brand it out. So 
it's just better to get everybody to uh, to search online through Google and YouTube and come across you and your website. And then if they are on Instagram and they discover you, then it should be a funnel that takes them straight to something they can buy, straight to something that they can learn about, straight to something that interests them, that it, you know excites or empowers or inspires, or maybe they're emotionally tied to it. And then again, it takes to your website. And your, and your website should be clean. It should look professional. It should work as a- Black and white. Black and white, it, fine. It, white, yeah, black, it, blue. It, it can work as, a, as an EPK as well um, without being an EPK. I mean, I think even having just a one-page site to start, you know, is, is somewhat, I mean, it's an investment for sure, but um, is a solid investment. And then as you scale a three-page website or a five-page website, and then like what Joey was saying, if, if you really want to use it at the highest level, it's, you know, every time you drop a song, you're teasing songs um all your stuff goes there first and on but um you know we'll continue to talk about that mike i appreciate i really appreciate the, the the question and staying sticking around for a minute so we could get to that um that's definitely the realm of love, investing love. in websites and content is something that joey and i know really well um but anyways man i appreciate everyone hanging out with us that's probably gonna about wrap it up for us this evening we ran a little late um but next wednesday we'll be back um, 8 p.m. We did start a little bit late today, 8.30, but um, we'll be back uh, 8 p.m. next Wednesday. Um, and 11 a.m. on Sunday, Sunday sesh. I got more dabs to smoke with you guys. Now I'm gonna, I gotta do a review of this Backpack Boys uh, like tomorrow or the next day. And then on Sunday, I'm gonna smoke the rest of it with you guys. So let's tap in. All right, oh, last all right. Two, don't forget, I got that booth pack. Jesus, he plugged it. He plugged it. Come on, man. That's All right, legal man. California weed, that legal booth. RMR Podcast. Appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Peace.